connections. So there's an actual file, and then yeah, I'm recording on my end, so <clears throat> you very likely will hear my wife and kid on my end in the background. That's cool. Yeah, some some good audio texture. I told my kids, I'm like, don't come down, <laughs> please. Right. Well, if they do, whatever. My daughter, she just like bought herself a, a new Wii. And oh. uh, it's been nonstop. Yeah, there she is. <laughs> what's she? What's what's she play on the Wii? They play Wii Party. So like her, our exchange, and our other daughter, they just they're screaming. They like they'll be screaming about it. It's crazy. All right. Is that like a Mario Party kind of game? It's like a it's like it's, party game. It's like a lame. It's like a pretty lame game, you know. But for some reason, they create a lot of tension playing it. So hey, it's all good. All right. Nice. <laughs> What have you thought about Bitcoin in the last week? Very, uh, very interesting. I mean, man, it's almost like everything with Bitcoin is not, it's like 5% Bitcoin and like 95% the rest of the world. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. Right. And it's like Bitcoin's just there, right? And the rest of the world is burning down. Um, you know, we finally get a big bank failure. Um, How many get- bank failures have there been now? Like Silicon Valley, I've been, I've been, lot, but I've been like, offline doing like I'm, I've been working on stuff, so I've been trying to keep my head down a bit. But let's look at Silicon Valley Bank. Well, there was for, for First Republic Signature Bank, right? And Silvergate, I guess. And Silvergate, call, right? Has there been any a fifth one? So that's four. Well, that, as of today, as of today, yes, uh, Credit Suisse. Oh, right. Okay, so they had never actually gone defunct up until now, then. I mean, they never changed hands. We'll put it that way. Oh, okay. Okay, right? so they've been acquired. This reminds me of Merrill getting bought by um, Barclays. Okay. So you we're know, seeing consolidation of the bigger players. Whoever bought them, yeah. Yeah, you know, like Merrill was going to be... Merrill was going to get um, Silicon Valley, you know? Mm-hmm. Or maybe Signature. It's, it's too early to know what these verbs mean yet. What would be the really valuable thing in acquiring a banking competitor? Is it, is it the database of your users? Like, what, where does the value come from? It's hard to it's hard to say. I would guess um, my naive quant self would say that there are balance sheet synergies. Right. I mean, there have to be assets and... the bank owns. Yeah, and um, I mean, at least it makes you not the one being bought, and you'd certainly get it for a discount, um, right? So once once all the all, all of the different banks and companies have merged into each other, we're left with buy, big and large, right? From Wally, by and large, just one giant mega corporation. And then if they fail, who who acquires them? We do. <laughs> the people, the plebs. Well, the plebs do. I don't know about the people, but certainly the plebs do. Right. Right, I mean, it's basically like I was thinking about it today, because, you know, because we have we've got another little price pump, right? And yeah, maybe it's related to Swiss Bank bailing out, um, basically bailing out Credit Suisse and enabling this transaction to happen. Have you um, seen in your day to day life, like from you interacting with no coiners, have you seen any increase in interest in things the store store of values like, like Bitcoin? Bitcoin? Well. My wife's a barometer, and not that she's a no-coiner, but she has the spirit and the heart of a no-coiner. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, so you're further down the Bitcoin rabbit hole than than she is. Which yeah. I mean, that's the same. That's that's true with my wife and I as, as well. I'm I'm much further down the Bitcoin rabbit hole than she is. 
I mean, honestly, my wife, the the biggest role Bitcoin plays in her life is the trauma she has about like buying it at forty thousand. Mm. So like, well, every, that's that, everybody's got to learn that lesson. The like the, the yeah. separation of the value of dollar value from sat value. You know, it's like I went all in. I went in studying. You know, four or five hours a day. She did kind of the right thing, like what people told her to do, which is checking on the price every. You know, don't don't even don't even look at it. Check it on the price every so often. But like, mm-hmm. you know, the way it turned the way it turned out is, um, you know, I almost became a ghost because I've just buried myself so much in scholastic study or <laughs> in the rabbit hole. Right, and, extracurricular. And yeah, and then really, it's like her view of the value of the savings went. Sort of torpedoed. So she qualifies as a, I'd say, as like the no coiner for this example. Okay. <laughs> okay. And she is definitely looking at alternatives to, um, we'll just say. She's seeing the flaws in um, <clears throat> holding value in banks? She, yeah, she's getting worried. Um, and it's not mm. necessarily that, oh, okay, well, let's just hold more Bitcoin, right? It's not necessarily there yet, but it's. Right. But it is like. Right. She sees a storm on the horizon. Yeah, I don't trust this shit, right? Definitely, okay. that's a definitely, that's definitely the case. So uh, that lines up with what I've seen. Um, I've seen people, their people are aware that there's something going on with the banks, but um, there's no more, like, everybody has always said, like, fuck the banks, we don't trust the banks. But uh, it's, well, people are still aren't looking really for, like, other, they're not looking to. They're still thinking in dollar terms of like, well, well, the FDIC has my back, and I have less than X amount. So really, what's it matter? Yeah. The other thing, I guess, I'll say the other spectrum of no coiner is like I work for a really large insurance company with like actuaries, quants, and people who, you know, some somewhat live and die by how the market does. And mm-hmm. by and large, aside from the impact it had on the market, it was like another day in the neighborhood for these people. Okay, so business as usual. It was like trying to understand it strictly to understand its place in the ecosystem we work in, and nothing else. Okay, so I've so let's talk. You know, you, you've read the mandibles. Of course. Um, for for people that have that have read the mandibles, there's a scene in the mandibles where it's the last dinner party, um, where everybody ha- is aware that something has happened financially, but nobody's really sure of it yet. And then yeah. it's, they, they, they remember this point of like they, they were all discussing it and discussing value in banks and where value comes from. And they all looked back on it as it was the last time that any of them could think about going to like to a friend's for, for dinner without having the ulterior motive of, well, I'm hungry. Where's a free meal? Hmm. It's like that, it feels similar. Like a lot of people right now are aware something's broken. And in, to a much larger degree, yeah, something's been broken forever, but something is really broken right now. Like there's a, a acute, like some, like a wrist is broken or something. Where before it was just a dull pain, now now it's a sharp pain, and people are paying attention to it and looking, but they don't they don't understand where or what to look for. I think so. I I, I also think that people generally think this was probably an isolated incident, and maybe it's over. Whereas yeah, I am true. like screaming off the rooftops, like this is just the first grain of sand. This is only the beginning. Yeah, this is so. <clears throat> if two thousand eight was the dam cracking and water spraying out, th- this is another massive crack. And yeah, there's more. There, we're, we have not repaired the dam any. The water is leaking just as much as before, and we're headed towards structural failure. 
there, and yeah, there, there's no happy ending here. Well, the pro, yeah, I mean, you know, I, you can reflexively say, well, this is in 2008, but also, yeah, we didn't have out of control inflation that a large part of society knew about and was already p- feeling pissed about. And in the role that social media played in, in just in social discourse was very different in 2008 till now. Now we have Peter Thiel coming out of his private meeting with Silicon Valley and him tweeting about get your money out of Silicon Valley Bank and everybody saw it at once. Yep. Yep. I mean, it's, it's just a different environment now. Yeah, you're right. So people that say this isn't 2008, yeah, they're right. This isn't 2008. This is a much different beast than 2008. This is 2008 with like the velocity multiplied by five. Yeah, you substitute leverage in the system, which maybe we don't have, with like really people being far more on edge, far more angry. They've been riled by p- political populism for easily the last six years. Really, like the last eight years, like political populism, like nothing we've seen in this country. Right. There's a push to separate. It feels like multiple countries existing under one flag. Yeah. I mean, and then, you know, you see like France on fire. You see. Marjorie Taylor Greene is calling for a, a, a civil divorce, I think she called it. Yeah. Like a, a national divorce. Yeah. It's like that. I'm right. It's like that's. It seems like I, I used to joke when I lived in Texas that Texas was going to secede someday and Texas would be a nation. Yeah, I mean, I think um, people think that. A lot of people, like, that's actually, I don't even right. think it's a it joke, seems right? Right, like it's a, it, right, like, we used to joke about it when we lived there, but now it seems like a, just a matter of conversation. Like, oh, yeah, this is going to happen. Yeah, I mean, people are on edge, right? Mm-hmm. And the, the thing that, you know, the most striking thing about... <laughs> I think the most striking thing about what happened this week was actually the rejection of the banking license of Custodia Bank. Oh, right. Okay, I listened to, I think it was Marty talking with, with somebody about that. Yeah, walk me, what, talk so, me through that. like, there's a chapter in the fiat standard. I think it's the fiat standard. There's a chapter about why a bank that doesn't fractionally reserve could never exist. And... Um, I think it was a paper written by Matt Levine, based on a paper written by Matt Levine, uh, on a bank called the Narrow Bank that was going to be this, just this kind of small bank. And it was like just a test to see if you could get a Fed license on a small bank that could be, that, that wouldn't use fractional reserving. And they got rejected. And that was, an, it was like an interesting little test case. But Caitlin when Wall, was the, Do you happen to know, when was the last time the Fed issued a license to a new bank? That I do not know. Um, okay. But Custodia yeah, I mean, Bank right, been has been, long... tr- they've been trying to get licensed for years. And right. so they were going to be, I think they were going to post a, like a 108% reserve. So they're gonna, they were going to be over-reserved. Right, which can't exist in a system where everybody is corrupt. Because if there's one good player, then everybody's yeah. going to go to that good player. Okay. Yeah, yeah, right. right? I mean, it's it's pretty wild. It's, it's Yeah, it's interesting how transparent it is now. It's Right. Well, there's no other reason why. So they did that. They they denied that banking license with one hand while they bailed out Silicon Valley Bank with the other. Basically, yeah. <laughs> winners and losers. If you, I mean, it's even when they pick winners, though. Like, but the, this Custodia Bank certain... rejection was far more, I think, a more urgent stem of systemic risk than the Silicon Valley Bank um, bailout. 
So having having a fully custodial bank is a larger medium term threat than the than the disillusion of one certain bank. Yeah, I mean they could have let Silicon Valley Bank fail, right? I mean I don't nobody. I mean, I mean if like the Fed Google was has serious, accounts with them, Facebook had like all of those big tech companies have accounts with them. But if like yeah, I mean I, I think it was I was watching Joe Consorti earlier. You know, he was saying, like, well, you know, if the Fed was really trying to suck liquidity out of the, you know, really suck these Ponzi's out, right, where they come from is VC money. And so why are they crying over VCs losing their money in this bank? Why are they why are they rescuing them, right? Why are they giving them the opportunity to continue to create, like, crypto scams and et cetera, right? Mm. Um, so he interpreted it as just a weak move by the Fed and the market kind of picked up on how just how weak it was and they took um you know they priced in something like three or four rate cuts by the end of the year oh wow so rate cuts are being priced in now yeah and so here's the other interesting piece of this right and so this is like as i was going to sleep you know we did that podcast last sunday and i was like yeah markets are going to tank then rates are going to tank right and then just as i'm going to sleep you know uh, dylan leclerc posts a link to this bank term funding program and like this thing is this thing is i have to say it's genius i i don't want to i don't want to give them credit but like i think i said something last week to the effect of if they ever see an opening they'll take it an opportunity to kick the can down the road they'll take it you know this like they could have extended fdic they could have done a lot of things but they chose yeah. a very specific solution here, which is to allow, basically, allow banks with impaired long-duration treasuries, mortgage backs, agencies, right? So if they have, a, they have long bonds that, say, used to be worth 100% of their value, but because rates went up, maybe they're worth 50% of their value, they're allowed to borrow if they need to now you know, return money to their depositors. They can de- they can borrow on that as at par. And this is supposedly a temporary thing. They're, they're like only doing this for an, a year. They say a year. It's forever. But they say, yeah. so they say a year. But what's going to happen over the course of the year? In order, basically, in order for this to happen, the Fed has to commit to buying these long bonds, right? In other words, the the worst thing that can happen to an institution is that they're forced to sell like a long bond after rates go up. Like what they would like yeah, to do is be able to hold it and wait for rates to come back down, right? Yeah, never take that loss hit. Never and, have to mark to market. And yeah, never have to mark to market exactly. So like hold it to maturity. And the only institution that's truly capable of doing that is the Fed. So this is going to inevitably favor the larger banks who have larger pools of bonds that they could take loans against. Well, that's that's for sure, right? That's for sure, but the, I, th- I think the other interesting aspect of this is that it's now yield curve control. I mean, we are now, you mm. know, we are now doing what Japan started in the '90s, right? We are buying up long bonds, and whether it's with the intent to drive the rate down, it's going to have that effect. But lo and behold, the lower the long rate goes, the cheaper this program is, right? The less expensive the program is. The less unsecured, the less unsecured. You're right. You're right on the edge of my comprehension of financial markets. Yeah. So, like, I mean, at the current, so like, if 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 rates stay high, 
right? Then the Fed has basically, they're just basically giving unsecured loans to these banks. Right. But if the rates come down, then that gap closes. The value gap closes and, you know, it's like a little more a little more honest, right? So so the Fed is just going to be adding a bunch to their balance sheet. Yeah, so if that's we look exactly at if we, it. So we see that I saw that chart that you posted in our chat the other day. So that's that uptick in the uh, Fed the federal uh, balance sheet. I think that's that was that a projection, but yeah, that that is what will happen over okay. a year. And then I mean, I don't know if you paid too close attention in like 2012 when the Fed started to talk about tapering and the market flipped the fuck out, right? There's no way this will ever be uh, scaled back. Right. I mean, with, they can only go one direction. Yeah, the valve only goes one direction. <laughs> That's right. And the fact is the motivation is to um, utilize this program to actually lower rates, to actually fulfill on yield curve control. But the, the thing I didn't mention, though, was that I, I did think that this particular solution leaves the door open for the Fed to continue to hike rates. Because they basically said, mm. they because, because what happened was something broke, right? They're like, oh, we're going to raise and raise and raise and wait for something to break, right? Well, something broke, but then they said, you know what? If it, We're not going to let anything break because we're raising rates. It's essentially the crux of the solution. I mean, there still has to come a point when they've raised rates to a point that even banks that have bonds to borrow against are pushed up against the wall. It's like they're well, the the spread, like the in, the, the inversion spread, is just going to get so big, right? Mm. The rubber band's going to break, and something much more spectacular than what we saw last week is going to happen. Okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it. I mean, I found it to be very interesting to watch this unfold this week and to try to. Um, so I wonder if that's. Takes. Do you think this is why Bitcoin's pumping? Like I've, I've forever since I've been into Bitcoin, the narrative has been like, oh well, Bitcoin is the safe asset. It's like the I'm into Bitcoin because I'm so risk averse. Like Bitcoin is the ultimate safe asset, but it hasn't traded like a safe asset. It, like it's been trading similar to the Nasdaq for a while. Like there's the, but this is the first time I've really seen it trade like a flight to safety asset. Do you? I do, is that what but, you see happening? I do, but I think it's like I think back to the. Like the guy I know that it was dumping USDC into Bitcoin, you know, like these are like the shit coiners, no, like are, are flocking to Bitcoin right now, right? Okay. So I think that's definitely ha that that definitely was a thing over the last week, right? Um, particularly now when you're worried about FDIC because people were carrying massive like USDC balances in their banks or. You know, like they, they were, I think this FDIC concern has caused people to, uh, they, uh, combined with the USDC depegging. <laughs> Man, it's so nice to not yeah. have to pay attention to this stuff. <laughs> like, no shit, like right? I, I used to pay a lot more attention to it, but now it's kind of like, well, I know that it's all, like the house of cards is going to fall down eventually. And now that I'm out the door, I, I don't really have to care about it anymore. So like this like this past I, I told you I've been scaling back my social media consumption. Yeah. Not yeah. Be, not for any like because I'm I'm trying to be better with my social media. I've just I spent the last week working on building shelves in my office, and I've just been instead of listening to podcasts, I've been listening to more music. Yeah, good for you. You know how like music music can kind of like put you in a frame of mind or a mindset or a feeling. You can communicate with music. Absolutely. Um, 
So, like, Les Miserables. I listen to Les Miserables, and it's like, oh my, like, you hear the, when you hear the voices saying, it's like, oh, that puts me in the most, like, revolutionary, fuck the government feeling. It's like, it is a inspiring soundtrack to listen to, to get into that headspace of sovereignty. And, like, yeah. I am going to rise up and overcome. That's a particularly I, dramatic score. <laughs> to, it's, it's so good. To get, to, um, to get into that kind of mood. I found so like in the, like thinking of music that puts me in that mood. I found another soundtrack that I've been listening to a lot this week that has put that inspires a similar kind of mindset. Um, but it's interesting what the soundtrack is. So there's a, a video game, Far Cry Five, which is about it takes place in Montana, and you're 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 a character that has to infiltrate like a, a doomsday cult. I think I've never played the game. Um, All right, I'm listening. <laughs> But yeah, so like it's some like doomsday cults um, prepper group who's out in Montana, and they uh, they're religious. They're a religious cult, and so they have a choir that sings about all these different things, uh, like church like uh, church choir music. But it's all about um, super militant Christian Christian themes. Um, and the 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 one song "Keep Your Rifle by Your Side" is I unironically love it. It's so inspiring. It's like keep it, it. This whole album feels like it's written for Bitcoiners, kind of. Like the, it starts with like build a castle, build your castle. Then it's like help me faith. It's like now he's our father, and then keep your rifle by your side. All of these things about being preparing yourself and being ready for when this moment that we know is coming comes. Fascinating. Yeah, that's what I've spent the week doing. That's and pretty so, yeah. interesting. Now imagine if you came across these songs and you realized that they were written in 1985. 1980. So, so I'm just like, if you came across songs like that, that had such strong imagery for, like, for Bitcoiners. Oh sure, I've come across. Because I think you know where I'm going with this, right? Because so this yeah. is like, <laughs> like all of the, the fish literature that I have essentially. Written I've absolutely about. been touched. Yeah, I, it's not just modern music that touches me. It's like, yeah, when music touches you, it touches you. Yeah, I mean, actually, I was thinking about this the other day with um, Elton John's first three hits. It was like one was like he. First one was your song, which is like, oh, this is your song. This is your private property. The next one was Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, like we're getting off the gold standard. This is like 1973 or something like that, right? And then there was Rocket Man, like one, two, three. Like right. you're not gonna, you are not gonna convince me there is not some type of signal going on affecting him to affect everybody and to mentally set the stage for cypherpunks. That's interesting. Whether or not he was aware of it or not, yeah, he was he was communicating something. I think so, right? And then it's like he comes back in the eighties, I'm still standing, it's like a huge Bitcoin meme, right? I'm I, I believe in this shit. And I like love I love like going back and hearing songs because I I believe that like the spirits of creativity don't come from nowhere. Yeah, I'm a solid believer in like the concept of the muse. Like I, I don't think I am creative. I think I'm able to tap into a creative spirit or something like that. Correct. If you're lucky and you maybe, and if you... Yeah, like if, if, if you prepare yourself, if you take all the steps, if you satisfy the muse, then yes. if you're lucky, you, you can please the gods. be creative. Yeah. You please the gods. Right. They, will pro- they will throw you some signal. Right, and it's like it, half of and half of... It's like you have to show up. <laughs> half so, of the, uh, the fight is showing up on time and doing the work. This might be the perfect segue into talking about what a pleb is. <laughs> All right, yeah, let's talk about that. Right, because I would actually say I, my daily, like my daily life is like pleasing the gods and getting and like mining for signal. 
I like that. I, I so that the one that lines up for me is like a pleb follows their passions, but it's not ruled, but is not ruled by them. Fast, and that's interesting. That's a whole thing in and of itself. I think that that dichotomy. I think we could, you know, all of these points that we're about to go through. I bet we could have full conversations about. Right, but like this idea that so like for one, right? It's like. It's a huge responsibility. Being a pleb is like massive responsibility. And right. Absolutely. Like your entire net worth is in your hands. And that's a voluntary mantle. Correct. Like you like you're always at risk of getting scammed. Like if you fall asleep at the wheel, mm-hmm. you know, you, you have a bad couple of days, you know, you might actually find yourself susceptible to a good story. And an affinity scam. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, holding Bitcoin is work. I mean, we talked about this last week, right? Like, hodling is work. It's act. It's an active act, right? So that's, like, to me, the first thing plebs do is they hodl. They stack and hold actively. They work to better themselves. They plan for the future. It's like the, the beaver, beaver builds a dam. Definitely. They definitely... They definitely do that. I don't know that all of them do that. I don't know that, like, I think a lot of the, I mean, I've only been in the game now a little over a year, right, as a, as a pleb. And I think that planning for the future is, some, is a secondary thing that, it's like a byproduct of hodling, right? But I don't... Well, you're forced to, yeah. yeah. It forces you to think about, how am I going to hodl this into the future? Yeah, that's right. Like, how do I not get liquidated in two years, in three years? Mm -hmm. Right. Am I in debt now? That's like another fucked up thing that I see out there, right? Mm -hmm. Debt's scary, man. Yeah. Well, I think if you're in debt, you're inherently short Bitcoin. That's a good way to look at it. Yeah. Right. I was, I remember talking about this about the miners, like miners that that are. like being in debt is not necessarily a bad thing, but, um, but yeah, I, I like that. Being in debt is short Bitcoin. I would say at least if you're in unsecured debt, there's then, smarter ways to be short Bitcoin than others. Yeah, I'm not like I know people own mortgages and stuff like that, and they're they're secured by an asset. And, right. But by oh, yeah, and large, like, if you're like not it, all debt is created equal. If you borrowed, <laughs> if you le- are leveraged, we'll just say mm. you are short. You are short your Bitcoin. You are an inevitable seller. I mean, if you're if you're putting your, yourself in a position where you could be margin called, I w- you're being more risky with your with your Bitcoin than I would be with mine. That's right. Well, and that's because I mean, look, if you let's just say you are not in debt, right? You're still probably short Bitcoin in some way, right? You're going to spend it. You're going to live off it. You're sure. Gonna, you're you, going to have, you have things you enjoy that you have, you have vices. To, yeah, you're going. You, you know what I mean? You're going to live a life, right? Right. But if you're leveraged, you're not any of that, right? You're like a slave to that leverage before you get to think. You, so you're not. You can't be a long-term thinker if you're. That I guess that's my point. Like I think there are certain uh, states that make it. They're almost incompatible with pleb life. I, I agree a hundred percent. There, one of the things that made me realize that I was a bitcoiner was taking out credit card debt to buy shit coins during the pump in 2017 and i made money on it but like the month uh, the month that i did this and then was like paying back the credit card bill the next month was it it wasn't worth the amount of sleep that i lost over it right 
It's like, I, I do not have the stomach for this. It's like, if this goes down, like, I don't have the money to cover this. It was like, I had, do I have the conviction to hold it? I did. I got through the month and I made, I made a couple hundred bucks on it, but it's like, it, yeah, it wasn't worth the cost mentally. And I never went back to it. Yeah. I would almost say plebs sleep, right? Like plebs sleep, <laughs> they get regular sleep, right? I mean, right. some of them work like 20 hours a day. They sleep at night. They, or they at least, or they choose not to, <laughs> to, to work or whatever it is. But, you know, I, that's what I, th- I think in general. They sleep, they eat well, they eat real food. <laughs> They're intentional about, their, about themselves. Yeah, you know. They, they don't let life happen to them accidentally. Yeah, I agree. See, you, and the thing, yeah, you, and th- these are the, this is the integrity. Um, and I use the word integrity not as morality, but as a structure. Like the structure to build your view of the future on. That makes sense. When I mean, when you're dealing with an incorruptible asset like Bitcoin, I mean, you're dealing with incorruptible truth. Inevitably, like, okay, well, if I make myself and my life more truthful, I can be- better align myself with this technology, this tool. Correct. Bitcoin, I would say, is like a po- it's like a potent potential. It's a potentiator of like a long term vision. See the thing when you have a long-term vision, like a commitment. Yeah, you have a commi- I like that. Because if you have a commitment, right, that it has a very um, low shelf life, right? So, like mm-hmm. I always said, a low time preference is not permanent, right? It's just like something you might have in a moment, and you might see something, but like the second you get in a car accident or something happens, right? You don't have, that low time preference is out the window, right? Right. Um, that vision is out the window, and you're surviving again. So right. sometimes your phone breaks, and you have to spend Bitcoin. Yeah. So I've toyed around with calling this risk preference. There's like time preference, and then there's like risk preference. Like risk preference is like having the structure and the integrity to keep your time preference in place for a long enough time to get escape velocity, right? Yeah. I mean, risk preference. So like living a life safe, not not engaging in behaviors that are more risky than need than you need to be yeah so like a low risk preference meeting a low time preference is i think like what the pleb dream is all about which and that corresponds perfectly with building a family like that that is the the perfect environment to build a family yeah and then it's like a high time preference meeting a high risk preference is like comports with nihilism and you know yeah Self-destruction. So, so, yeah, exactly. Like, the fuck it mentality. So, yeah, Bitcoiners, a ple- plebs work for a better, like, what's the, a better future will be achieved when old men plant trees that they will never live to sit in the shade of. Yeah, like, that's beautiful. That's pleb culture. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's, yeah. That's, so, yeah, plebs stack sats for sure, right? Then that, that's. Stack sats, plant trees. <laughs> stack sats, plant trees. Um. I had a list. I was like, man, I should write it down before. I should like, prepare for one of these things, you know? <laughs> Do you have a, well, grab it. You have a list? Grab it. Um, that's upstairs. But um, right. the other thing I said, plebs hang out with other plebs, right? We go to meetups. We find each other on Noster or Twitter or wherever we're at. We go, you know. As iron sharpens iron. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we seek each other out, right? Yeah. The way I've, I've thought of that particular aspect is like... At, Plebs are a pleb development. Developing is a person picking their head up 
from like from the masses of having their heads down. And once you have your head up, you can look across the heads of the masses and see the other people with their heads up. Hmm. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, it's me- it's metaphorical, obviously. But yeah, if you, if your head is down, just focusing on survival, you're not you're focused on just yourself and the little here and now, not in the long not in the long term. And yeah, once you move into that lower time preference, you start you can. For me, I mean, it made me realize, oh, there's probably other people with. <laughs> once you yeah, once you have the mental change of that of realizing that you're not the center of the universe, you realize, oh, that there are other people out there who probably like have some rationale behind the decision making they're having. So I don't have to control everything or make everybody's decisions match my own. Yeah, yeah. But the, there's this really interesting combination of things, though. Cause, so when, when the sort of that, that sort of loss of ego type of thing kicks in, but when it gets combined with realizing that you are the one and no one's coming to save you, mm-hmm. you have an enormous amount of personal power in that moment. You know what I mean? Like, it's one thing to be like, uh, I think I heard Svetsky write about this, about ego death. I totally agree with this concept, like, fuck ego death, right? Like, if you really submit, not fuck it, like, in and of itself, but in and of, I think I'm saying in and of itself, it makes you kind of weak. But when you when you combine it with the personal responsibility and this, not, this notion that no one's coming, <laughs> no one's coming to save us or do our job. Right, mm-hmm. the two ideas paired together are incredibly powerful. I the, so the fuck ego death idea is I think I think some people view ego death as the end in and of itself. Like that's the goal. The goal is ego death. The goal is self negation. Um, but that certainly wasn't that was ego death was a stage in my development. But once that ego was gone, the, the questioner may like okay, well, who are you going to be going forward? And it's like that. That's when the that's when the choices come. Like, well, what are your thing. personal ethics? It might be the harder thing to do is to lose the ego. So maybe that's why people focus on it so much. Well, there's 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 a variety of ways to do it. I I kind of I jumped in the deep end with psychedelics. Yeah, I took a dose of psychedelics that kind of blew my ego. It took me out into a cosmic dimension, and uh, yeah, there was no. Business cat was not there, and when I came back, I had to come to terms with what exactly. I am, and it yeah it changed my relationship with the universe. Fascinating, that's yeah. Well, I I could my, see my universe went from went from being me and like what do I want, where do I want to go, what do I want to do to oh I live in a universe and yeah I mean I I can still have decision trees I can decide like some direction of things but it's like don't fight the tide man don't fight the ocean yeah, the humility is the important o- then so yes yes. yes. Right, but it's important that you don't lose your, like your chi, in the process. Your will, your your self determination. Sure, will. I mean, I've, there's there's plenty of people who have like blown themselves away on on acid, and I mean, they I mean, they follow the first strong leader that they that they come across. I mean, I will say it's with a personal anecdote is, um, I got. I got very into the ego death thing and I got really into gratitude and journaling and this all sounds like really good stuff, right? It's like, what's wrong with that? Nothing, there was actually nothing wrong with that, but I found that like doing gratitude every day was not as per like it's something that, it's a practice that stopped about two months after I bought Bitcoin for the first time. 
Okay. And it's I've just been much more intentional. And so this is the other thing that plebs do is they I think I would just say they read. They read. Yeah, they, they better themselves. They're, they, they're curious. Like all the time, they read. They read constantly, right? I mean, these are. I never read like I do now. Right? It's like I, the second my eyes open in bed, I just pop out and start reading. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, bettering. It's it's bettering yourself. And at some point, I just decided that reading was better for me than. Gratitude, and there was nothing wrong with gratitude, but I spent two years every morning doing it. I got really good at it. And so, uh, you know, I think I was able to walk away. <laughs> so I, I meditate daily. And yeah. the pro- what you're ta- I think what you're describing is a thing that I think of internally as spiritual materialism. So in my, in my meditation practice, you have to grapple with why am I meditating? Am I doing this? so that other people see me meditating and so that they think that I'm a good person or they they think that they see me differently? Am I doing this for egotistical reasons or am I doing this to try to calm my mind and center myself? And so, like, the idea of, like, the churchgoer who, uh, what, the, I think it's a, there's a, par- a parable that Jesus did with, like, the guy walking into church and dropping a really heavy gold coin into the coffer and looking around to make sure everybody sees him. Yeah. And then fo- followed by the, the meek mother who drops a few pennies in. And Jesus says, the mother gave more. Um, and that's, that's spiritual materialism. It's funny. Um, I, you, you know what you reminded me of? That's like whenever I um, go to a sushi restaurant and I put a tip in the tip jar, I want to make sure they see me. Yeah, right. I mean, that's part of the we. Li- that's part of fiat culture. Like, that's the life, the world we live. Money touches everything, and it corrupts everything. That's one of my major problems I have with the church. Is like the the church is touched by money deeply, and it's deeply affected by fiat money. It's like I think Bitcoin's here to save the church, just like it's here to save every other aspect of of real culture. Yeah, we just got to make Zaps private on Noster as a default. That's <laughs> there's like a movement. There's a right. movement for that right now. <laughs> But anyway, spiritual materialism. Yeah. Uh, so, so you, I, I, I'm just kind of spitballing, speculating on you. But so you spent two years waking up every morning, um, to being, uh, being gracious and I would practicing breathe. gratitude. Yeah. So I did breathing. I did like a five, ten, or fifteen minutes of like breathing, and then I would be in this space where I would do. I wrote in this thing called five minute journal. Mm, okay. It, it, um, it became mechanical for you. Yeah, but it was, I mean, it was fantastic. I mean, like, it got me through some very hard, I mean, 2021 was one of the hardest years of my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, only to be followed by 2022, you know. But, the, I mean, 2021 was a really hard year, probably for most people in the world, right? Right, yeah. And people are being tested in new ways, the new gra- different ways. The gra- you know, the exercise of gratitude, doing it every day, helped. But some of the ways that I would show gratitude were... Well, I would say, you know, could I could be viewed as weak if my frame is not strong. Like, for example, like I'd be in, I'd be so annoyed, or I'd be really upset with um, a friend or somebody like that, like that really did something shitty, and then I'd just be like, oh, I'm just grateful to have friends, stuff like that. Like those are the, I would delve into those types of gratitudes and start saying, you know, if I didn't have a strong frame, this would be weak. Right. Okay. And then that's when sort of when I sort of started in Bitcoin, it it, it all sound 
it just made sense for me to read <laughs> instead of doing this whole and doing all this. You know, okay. like I got so, a lot out of it, but it's like now it's time to read. <laughs> you know, now it's time to find out what the fuck's going on and square this element, this zero element in the world. You know, my reading has definitely increased since I mean, since getting into Bitcoin. But I mean, it's really for me, it's podcasts. Yeah, well, it's like the same idea. I mean, basically, we consume yeah, consuming content. Cons- you know, we consume Bitcoin content, right? Yeah. It, I, I listened to years of, of podcasts before I was really starting to wrap my mind around Bitcoin. But, I mean, reading the manuals, reading Atlas Shrugged, those were like, you know, those were the most, two of the most impactful books that I've ever read in my life, right? And yeah, neither of them the were mandibles about, impacted me a lot. They weren't about Bitcoin, you know? No, right. I think that's one of my favorite things about the mandibles is it was written by a lady who's not a Bitcoiner. She is at the now. Time. Yeah, yeah, she is now. She's a whole, whole, whole coiner now. But if, if there was anybody who deserved to be a whole coiner, it's, it's the true. author of the mandibles. Do Lionel. you find it ironic, by the way, that, you know, <laughs> how do I say this? It's the only situation where Matt O'Dell has endorsed, like, the entire world knowing how much Bitcoin somebody has. Right. It's not exactly <laughs> the soup, the most private way of doing things, but it's, I can understand. It's a useful tool for somebody just yeah. getting into Bitcoin to be like, Hey, Hey, so just check it. We're just going to post your address online and that's, that's all we're going to do. It's cool. And, and then, I, I think she deserves it. I am like, I, I donated for sure. But you're right. I that has to have crossed both her and Matt's mind of oh now the world knows that I'm a whole coiner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now she's not like she's still a civilian, so that's why I, I my guess is you know Odell looks at her still as a civilian. Yeah, right. I not agree. as somebody in the game. But when she comes back and is like starts. Bitcoining, as yeah, she probably he's going to be will. a good resource for her whenever whenever she has questions about, hey, how do I take this Bitcoin and She's make it like, more right, anonymous? It's time to now, like, what do we do now? Where's my voting accident? Well, I, yeah, <laughs> well, I know you're about to have a voting accident. <laughs> I handed that. I I gave my copy of that book off to my parents, and I asked them both to read it, and then I I messaged my sister-in-law in Taiwan and asked her to read it. Yeah, I gave it to my wife, and she didn't read a page. Well, my my wife is currently in busy season at the moment, but I uh, she has promised me that she will read it once busy season's well, over. I read it in April of last year, and then I put it like I'm like, hey, you got to read this book. This is it's important. You you know you may not want to you know you may be not crazy about Bitcoin and all that, but at least read this book. <laughs> I'm embarrassed how long it took me to read it, but yeah, I'm glad I did finally, and it is at worth absolutely as much conversation as it's gotten. Absolutely. I mean, especially now, right? I mean, now we get to see it in real time. It's a great, I mean, so the beautiful thing about the mandibles is, okay, here's an example of what we could be about to live through if we didn't have Bitcoin. That's right. It's like, thankfully, like we have this, we have this escape hatch that exists. Yeah, we'll get, so, I mean, it'll, we probably will experience a degree, right? Like a degree of it. Oh yeah, I'm. I think it's gonna get pretty bad. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, that's there's. Like everybody has to like do their own preparation, get the, get their uh, own 
I think of my house as like the Millennium Falcon. That's like my uh, my personal spaceship throughout the galaxy. It just happens to be parked pretty semi permanently on one planet. <laughs> uh, so like every, everybody's got to get their Millennium Falcon and like get ready to face the universe. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess you know now that Lionel Shriver is is, is at least as somebody who now owns Bitcoin, if she then discovers, if she discovers it, maybe she'll help us, <laughs> right? Maybe she'll help us, like, re- maybe she'll rethink the mandibles and be like, okay, I still think 100% these eight things are going to happen. Right. I, I'm Once she wraps her mind around Bitcoin properly and can produce, like, proper, properly useful feedback, uh, it's what right what a brilliant and valuable mind to have added to the to added to the collective yeah it's like man I, I bet she can come up with some interesting attack and some use cases or attack surfaces was it last time where um you know i was talking about like i can't wait like they're going to be such prominent people you know not prominent in fiat but people who are like really going to be impactful at bitcoin that enter the space like i I mentioned yeah, like Bukele as an example, right? Like yeah, yeah. Well, so like like, like Schreiber is the first American president who's a Bitcoiner. Well, what was I guess I say this because over the weekend the Sean Ono Lennon joined Noster. I don't know that name. Well, Sean Ono Lennon is the son of Yoko Ono and John Lennon. And oh, he's right. Okay. And you know he fame. I mean, it's like it's, a, it's like a tragic son, like childhood, right? The way the world viewed Yoko Ono and how tragically John Lennon died, and I there were all kinds of public stories about him and other son and other, you know the other son that had the that hit song. But they joined Noster. He joins Noster, and he's like, "I'm a boomer Bitcoiner. Somebody help me figure out this thing." Huh? Yeah. Man, Noster jumping in with both feet. Yeah, right? I mean, so, like, he is a per. I mean, he's certainly a notable human being. And, you know, the fact that somehow Bitcoin Signal is, I mean, you know, if I'm thinking about Elton John, I could, I could probably write an anthology on the Beatles and the signal that they were channeling, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, they channel that... They channel that signal right into their, ch- you know, their child, very likely, you know. And he's a talented, if I, if I, I think he's a talented musician, and I know he owned the catalog for some period of time as well. Well, I mean, it sounds like he's a bit, like, the fact that he found Bitcoin, he was, he's a Bitcoiner, he just didn't know it for a while. Like, yeah, Bitcoiners exactly. work to better themselves, and I don't know how old he is, but I mean, yeah, he's a boomer, and he's still working at it. Like, he, he is not ossified. He got totally, I mean, you don't want to talk about getting rug pulled. You know, I mean, this is just a, a guy who publicly was publicly rugged of his like mm. livelihood. Yeah, so I, it's just so exciting. <laughs> you know, like it's just I mean, it's like who's next, right? It's just it's very exciting. I mean, Let's keep the, keep in mind you got to kill your heroes, man. The plebs we don't even hear of are like the smartest people in the fucking world, and then we there have, are really impressive people that are. Very small follower counts on Twitter and Noster. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's like that one of the most clear signal things of getting into Bitcoin is once you meet a few Bitcoiners and realize, oh, oh these aren't these are a very different quality of people than the shitcoiners that I was having conversations with. Totally, totally. So you, maybe we'll wrap up this pleb conversation with what actually are you? Um, what are you consuming these days? 
I'm not. I'm not actually. I, I my my podcast queue usually has about like ten or so episodes in it waiting to go. I think right now I've only got one episode. You're working. Is, um, you're working on. You're working on physical project. True. Yeah, I I do build things with my hands. So that's another thing plebs do, is right. They build. They either. Right, some of them build code, some of them build miners. Some Pleb, of them... Plebs are resourceful. They they take advantage of the resources available to they them. Fuck and... around with wallets, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm to be a Bitcoin, like to be a home miner, you're gonna have to become a bit of a jack of all trades. It's like, yeah, yeah, I mean, I know a little bit, a little bit about a lot of different things, enough to be dangerous, and like, I know enough to like electrocute myself in the in the yeah, junction box. I know enough to like chop my fingers off with the HVAC fans and like all of these different areas of the house. Um, but yeah, I mean, so what am I working on right now? I'm working on improving my uh, house. I've been building shelves in my, like I said, I've been building shelves in my office. I've got a couple different uh, S9 powered space heaters that I have going on in the basement right now. Yeah, they're so cool, man. I love they're, seeing they're those neat. So I have that first one built that I posted a couple of videos about. But yeah, I have a second one that's under construction right now. And I'm, I've got the uh, Rick from uh, Crypto Cloaks. He sent me pictures on Telegram, but it hasn't been shipped yet. I've got, he's got the case manufactured for me. Mm. Um, it's it's coming. He if you look at his, nice. uh, he he posted a picture of it on his Twitter feed a while back. It's a red, white, and blue case. So I'm making like an American flag themed Bitcoin miner. You it's gotta got send to, him the, like, the business cat logo so he can like he can <laughs> steam it. That in. would be neat. <laughs> it's like I think really the way I would do that is um, my wife is pretty good with uh, artistic design. So I think she could probably make me a pretty good vinyl that I could attach to the side if I wanted to do oh, that. Nice. I'm def for sure. That's a direction that I'm going to go. I'm I've been talking to him right now about maybe making a section of one of the future miners out of printed out of transparent plastic. So I mean, it's not like transparent like glass, but it'll be kind of foggy. But it'll let let the uh, lights and all the blinky lights from the miner through better. And I think that'll be a pretty in introduce a pretty interesting effect. But yeah, I've got a lot of small little projects going on in the basement right now. I just fixed nice. my my gaming computer was busted. I had a dead hard drive for the past six months. I finally fixed that. It's like now I've, I've got it. Like that's really lit the the uh, fire under my butt to get my office finished. Because once I get the uh, all the shelves finished, then I can bring my gaming computer back up and I can play the new release of Dwarf Fortress, which I've been looking forward to for a long time. But it's finally out. Oh yeah, dude, we're gonna have to get updates on this game. Yes. It's so good. I, I play. Yeah, I played. <laughs> I haven't played the new one, but yeah, I've played it for quite a few quite a few years up until now. But what's going on in your life? What are you uh, What are you working on? I'm reading The Fountainhead right now, by Ayn Rand. Um, I've been writing a personal memoir about my interesting yeah, about my career. Um, it's called mm -hmm. an actuary without a society. The society right. there's this thing called the Society of Actuaries. That's who like gives you your credential. And almost proudly, if you actually go to the website and look my name up, you'll say my name, and then you'll see the words non-compliant, which couldn't make me prouder. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um. Yeah, so that's uh, I've been channeling this idea, an actuary without a society, and that because I'm still the guy who wanted to be that, mm. but I've now spent 28 years in fiat and bankrupting just the whole idea of how it's done here, and yet I still see a way to. This is still kind of what I like. I want to do the ideal of what I thought it was, which is actually, you know. Be smart and help companies navigate risk, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like existential risk, right? And so, That's so I started to go around. 
So I started writing this, and um, I sent it to somebody, a, a, a friend of mine who is a well-known Bitcoiner um, and a very good writer. And he basically said, dude, you have to read the fucking Fountainhead. This is ridiculous. You are, he mentioned a character in that book, and he's like, I'm reading this thing about your life. <laughs> and it's like, this character, Howard Roark, who basically just, he got like, the book opens with him getting expelled from architecture school. And like, he just doesn't give a shit. He gives zero shits. He's kind of autistic. Right. And just does what, just does what he's going to do. Right. And like, there's nobody like, it depends on nobody. And you know, there's nobody who can tell him what's what. Right. He just knows. Yeah. Um, so, so that's, so I've been, I've been just now, I mean, so an Ayn Rand book probably, you know, counts as, uh, Doing Bitcoin work, I guess, right You're now. definitely working. <laughs> You're reading Ayn Rand, man. Yeah. That's cool. Very cool. I dropped everything to... Actually, it was in the middle of... I'm in the middle of, like, four books right now. But I'm like, all right, now i got to start this book. It's, this is kind of, I feel like this essay is going to end, and I'm going to get fired from my job. <laughs> like, I'm going to... It's like my career is going to end when I finish this essay. Man, I respect for writing, man. I've... I've tried to do writing it several times in my life, and it, it's like pulling teeth. It's not something that I've like comes real nat. I'm sure, like I, I can work at it and get something passable, but it's not something that I've. It's a good really muscle ever... to build. I first, I never wrote until I did stand up comedy, and when I did stand up, it was like ten years ago. Um, <clears throat> I tried doing it without writing. It was bad. So you know, I wrote every day. So you're not an improv person? Hell no. No. And stand-ups and improvs are like Bitcoiners and shitcoiners. <laughs> right. Because stand-ups are like, because stand-ups go out there and it's like you against the world and it's a war and, you know, there's nobody there to save you. It's that mentality, right? And improvs, are, you can do anything and everybody's like, oh, you're so good, you know? <laughs> right. It's like that culture. Um, I learned that I had to write. And so and I started doing the math. I'm like, if I write one new joke every day, right, I get like 365 jokes a year. If like 10 of them work, man, I'm like, I'm cooking, right? Yeah. And so I believe in this cycle of read, arrow to write, and then arrow to perform. And then that feeds back, feeds back into reading, writing, and then performing. And what we're doing right now is performing. Like we're performing on this podcast. Perform... I, hmm. This is also, I learned this in comedy, that it, for me, it's getting validation in real time on your ideas, right? So you want to, you read to develop a worldview, you write to actually express it, and then you perform it to get validation on it. Yeah, like stand-up is, you have to perform it to get better at it. You can't do it in a vacuum. Yeah, and the, it's like another great interest that I once had in my life is poker. It's like you can you could read books about poker, but you won't know poker, right? You could, but you have to read books about it, and then you can write about it. So, like, I used to belong to a website that was probably the equivalent of like Bitcoin Talk, right? It was called two plus two dot com, and people would post their hand histories and go through situations. So, I would consider that writing. You know, mm. and then performing is playing like you have to play. Right. Well, well I can make a mean to do list and uh, I can my spreadsheets are I do some impressive spreadsheets. But whenever I sit down in front of just a blank page, 
Like maybe I think I think the the workaround I would need I'd need to take one of my lists, plop that onto the page, and then like fill that list out into something else. Yeah, you know, it could be anything too. Like you could just literally write like five minutes of like what do you want to what do you actually want the day to be to look like? Right. Right. It's not even like fiction. It's not even a word. It's just literally getting stuff out of your head. I've definitely seen from uh, people I know firsthand that the the positive advantages of journaling. But yeah, it's, to date, it hasn't been something that I've incorporated into my stack. I'm such a poor communicator that if I don't write, I will not be, I will not make sense speaking. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I think that's really why it's particularly important to me. Well, hey man, Bitcoin price is pumping. Let's, I'm curious to see what it does for the next week. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Keep it moving.